I awaken to sunlight that's beyond bright. This day will be done right. There is a war just waiting on the side of the door, but I'll be bringing God to the gunfight. Can't live forever, so have some fun, right? Life's a bowl of candy. You can have one right. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the podcast, One Man, One Tree and Hill. I'm your host, uh, Jared Waters, two-time wrestling champ, stand-up comedian, whatever that is. That's what you is. That's what I am. Before we start off, we're going to hit up our sponsors. Ladies and gentlemen, this podcast is sponsored by Frontline Roofing and Restoration. Frontline Roofing and Restoration is a locally owned business specializing in residential roofing, commercial roofing, and restoration. You can email them, frontline.roof at gmail.com, or you can visit their website, frontline.roofing.com. And ladies and gentlemen, if you use the promo code OM. O-T-A-H, one man, one tree in a hill. You have a free inspection. You get a free inspection, and, yeah, you get a free inspection here, and you can get a free estimate on your roof. And, ladies and gentlemen, this is in Ohio. And the next person we would like to sponsor is, and this is for our, our black sponsors, is uh, Candace Waters. That is my flesh and blood. I call it flesh and bone. Her YouTube channel is called Candace's Corner. I like watching it. Welcome to my corner, welcome to my corner. It's her theme song, What Is About, where they cover current events and self-exploration. So that's a dope YouTube channel. We're going to put that link inside our description. So, whew, uh, shout out to everyone emailing me. Uh, this podcast is going to be a little different. Uh, my whole week has been, my, my week has been different. I had a lot of shows this week. But um, I've been recording this documentary, not my own personal documentary that I've been making, but this documentary with this uh, this company. They uh, they sh- they do documentaries. They asked me to be a part of it, and a lot of a lot of questions about self that I've been worrying about. A lot of things I've been exploring. So this week, Monday, yeah. So Sunday I did a show, but Monday uh, I didn't have a show Monday. But I try to get next to a show. I thought I had this show in the bag, but it kind of got canceled right so when I got canceled I went to the creek in the cave which is outside now so it's it was it was good seeing that and then this comedian asked me the producer's like do you find anyone on the shows like there's a guy not a guy but there's a film crew that's going to be recording a specific show on Tuesday right and how I got this show on Tuesday last Tuesday I went to a show and I you know I call it network instead of finessing talking to the booker the booker goes i've seen you before your name is jared waters bang 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 and i was like you know take out that take out that take out that calendar and put me on so we exchange exchange numbers and we're doing the show and he messages me he's like do you have a problem if someone records your set i was like, no just let me know i approve the jokes and see what's going on and he goes they want to interview certain people so if they want to interview you you know whatever i was like no problem so Monday the show's canceled, so I try to go to another show and get on, but, you know, it's kind of full. And then Tuesday, I have two shows, and Take It Outside comedy shows, like a bigger show right now, what's happening in New York. So let me break down the show, and then I'll break down what's happening in New York City, like, in depth. So what's happening in New York, right? What's happening in New York and pretty much all over? Pretty much all the comedy clubs are shut down, right? All the comedy clubs are shut down, and they're forced to adjust to be outside. Some comedy clubs don't have kitchens, so they can't because they don't serve food out there, so some of them have remained closed, correct? Other comedy clubs, since they have their liquor license and they serve food, they can open up their patio, and they've put in, they're starting to put tables on the street. So now comedy has gone outside. Like last week I talked about how comedy has gone outside 
but the way I started stand up was outside. So it's 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 whatever to me. I I've, I worked at Disney World trying to get thirty thousand people slowly, calmly onto a ferry and off a ferry by getting their attention, trying to make them laugh to calm them down because they're frustrated because they gotta go home. So I notice when you're talking to people outside, you have to be moving, you have to be animated, and you have to project your voice so people could feel like I'm talking to you, right? So that's what's happening. So what's happening in the city right now is that all these clubs have to adjust. Comedy clubs are pretty much shut down, but the only beautiful thing about New York is shows are everywhere. There are shows in bars. There are shows. It's called an alt scene. There's a club scene. There's an alt scene. So the alt scene are alternative shows. You can be on a roof. There are shows in apartments. There are shows in barbershops. There are shows in nail salons. I did a show in a freaking grocery store before. So it's like anywhere you can think of, there's shows. So right now, comedians have taken the advantage of becoming bookers now, right? Now, most of the time in the alt scene, comics are, are the bookers. But right now, the only shows are the people outside. So all the comedians who are hustling are finding parks. They're finding open areas that might not be looking like a park, and they'll start shows there, which is, which is perfect, correct? So now what's happening inside the comedy community is there's like a classism, right? So what's happening, there are like, you know, club comics. There's different type of clubs. There's like the big clubs, Cellar, underneath that's the Stand and Stand Up New York and all that other stuff. And then there's like Broadway Comedy Club. You know, it's A room, B rooms, and whatever, right? So A rooms are like the top level room where you have to get two references. You have to have a TV credit to get past there. And you have to be a reference. You audition for the Cellar, boom. But a lot of these comics who've, some, not all, but some comics have been inside this top tier form for maybe eight years, seven years. So you forget the alt side. You forget what you did to get there. So now those clubs are closed. So now to get on stage, you have to come down to the swamp. And that's where I live, the swamp. Now, when I say the swamp, I'm not saying it as a bad thing, meaning that in the swamp, it's just like what we call it in Florida, the swamp, because we're always proven. Every gate is proven itself. I'm freaking so southern. Every gate is proven himself again, right? So every time, we're never getting comfortable because in the in a swamp, you're eating. You're eating to survive, right? You're eating because you're always proving yourself to let the bigger gators know, in this swamp, I'm a gator as well. I just don't got the opportunities like that, so I have to. So it's, So what's happening in the comedy scene is that all these comedians are all on the same playing field. The comics with credits are mixed with the comics without credits. A comic who's done a Netflix special is with a comic who hasn't done a Netflix special. So it's a good thing now. Some people think it's a bad thing, but it's a good thing. The only bad thing is when you're up on that level, when you do alt shows, sometimes if, you're, if it's not a show at a real popping club, when you do these shows that aren't the clubs, you open mic it because clearly some of these comics with specials can't do open mics because they don't have enough time to wait in line and everything else. And then you graduate from open mics. Like I graduated from open mics when I went to Tampa, became a host, became a feature, started headlining. Then I left, right? I left. So when I came here, you have to rehumble yourself, right? I could have said F the open mics, but the open mics is where you find your classic comics. You meet comics who've been doing it such and such amount of time. You meet different comics from different areas so what's happening is now the swing is kind of different so whoever has a good outside show you become a booker so now you got you're not a gatekeeper but now you hold you hold a trade right 
Like the New York comedy scene is like what you put in is what you give in, right? You can just keep getting stage time, but if you provide a show platform, it's, you will get rewarded with other shows because you're providing a service. So what's happening is a lot of these comics are booking comedians with credits because they want to associate themselves with someone who's been on Netflix or someone who's been on HBO. But what happens is when you put these comics up there who don't really give an F about your show, they give a lackluster performance because they're working on stuff. Like, there's no stakes for them. You know, they've already made it, so why should I give you A-quality jokes if I want to work on the C stuff to make it A, which is perfectly fine. So why it's perfect for me is because now, like, I've I've done plenty of shows. Like, I performed at an A room before. I, I perform at a lot of A rooms, B rooms. I perform in different clubs. But some clubs, I'm not a consistent regular. And when you're not a consistent regular, you still need to. I like going to everything. Like any show possible, I'll do the good shows. So pretty much what's happening is some of these comics have come down to do shows, and they haven't been on stage in four months. So when these comedians book them, you have to realize they haven't been on stage in four months. And for us, I've been doing consistent shows throughout the quarantine, whether it's a zoom or anything else i'm just staying sharp i'm rehearsing my jokes i'm doing everything else i'm writing new jokes so we go to this show on tuesday so i'll do the second show first it's called take it outside comedy and i meet the people who are recording the documentary and i noticed that and i i'm gonna be honest i showed up late on purpose you know i could have been on time but i saw the comedians on the show and there's a lot of comedians I respected there's a lot of comedians that I remember when I was in Tampa that they were headliners I remember talking to them and asking them advice about New York and they gave it to me they would probably forgot it but I remember it so I'm on these shows I'm on the show with a lot of you know big name comics who just leave their names out and I know when you are the when you don't have as many credits they'll throw you the bullet spot the bullet spot where you take the bullet and you pretty much kick off the show now, it's not a problem. I would love to take the bullet, but comics don't really watch the bullet spot because they're coming in for their sets. So there's a sweet spot, which is the middle. There's the spot at the end, which, you know, when you're closing it, you're, you know, when it's like when it's like different spots, it doesn't matter who's headlining. But, like, usually after the bullet is when the show really starts, right? But what I want to do is I'm coming from another show. I want to follow the comic with the juice, and when I say the juice, I want to follow the funniest comic because I want to test my jokes against whoever is supposed to be the greatest writer in the city or is the greatest writer in the city. I want to go there. I want to follow anybody that got fire because I want to put my fire against them. I'm like the last airbender. You got fire? Well, let me show you the water that I can bend. Oh, you got wind? Well, let me show you the wind. I'm. It sounds competitive, but I always want the best out of me. Correct? So um, this comic goes up. And next you know it, I'm I'm coming there, and I was like, I'm running late anyways. I was like, you know, let me wait in this park for 15 minutes a little bit. And I let the booker know I'm coming late, and he goes, no problem. So I get there, and next you know it, these comics are looking around because this guy is killing, and, you know, he's from, uh, he's you know, he's got his Netflix stuff. And he goes, who's going next? I said, Jared Waters is going next. I go up. I do my thing, but I notice as I'm observing that everyone's standing still, right? You're standing still and telling your jokes, which is good. But I know in the park you have to give a performance. You gotta move. You gotta you gotta make people feel like they're part of the show. So within my first thirty seconds, I'm walking around. I'm pacing, pacing. Who's in that? Blah 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 blah. Bam bam. Jokes are going well. Everything's moving. I gotta get pop at the end. And it was a solid set. Solid set. 
and I go back and, you know, we dap it up. And it was kind of cool because I'm running into comedians. I remember when I moved to New York that I seen uh, my girl, Katie Hannigan. She's like, oh, my God, Jared, we haven't seen each other. Remember? I was like, yeah. She goes, I noticed your voice. I knew that was you. Like, oh, my God, that was that was cool. I was like, yeah, man, it's good seeing you. And, you know, she's done Late Night with Stephen Colbert. You know, she's on Pilots and stuff. But it was just dope seeing her and, like, seeing how we've evolved as stand-up comedians. So I talked to the, the guys shooting the documentary, and they're asking me questions. And they're like, you know, we can't really – you're giving a lot of information. I said, look, how about we finish this tomorrow? So they said, tomorrow we're filming a location, so we're filming. And they asked a lot of important questions, and the questions were asking – how do you feel about the the bigger comics coming down to this level and doing shows? And I was like, I love it. This is a swamp now. This is now it's a good time to show what you have and prove and do everything else. And when I say that, sometimes I think that you know you'll take every show possible, and that's the reason why I'm saying that is because sometimes comedians who feel like they are not at a certain level won't associate their their comedy or brand with comics from another level to justify the show you know so like imagine you have an event and you got Beyonce there it's like this is where Beyonce ate it's like alright well I gotta go there right so so pretty much you know the, this show's already established that you know comics drop in comics like working comics which is good so before that the reason why I brought this so Tuesday I did a show earlier than that and it's at a park some crack infested park and the park didn't used to be like that, but, you know, since there's no park rangers since we're on Phase 4, you know, a lot of just addicts are out there. So we're about to do the show, and I talked to the booker, who's a friend of mine, and he's kind of nervous because people aren't there yet. And I was like, you know, don't worry. But he goes, he says this, he goes, well, if people don't come, let's just open mic it. And I tell him, I came to do a show, I didn't come to do an open mic. And there's nothing wrong with people who do open mics, I just feel like open mics are there to practice jokes and make them better which is perfectly normal I was like if I wanted to do an open mic I would have did an open mic I came because you booked me on a show so treat this like a show like put you know what I mean treat it like a show don't get down because you don't see anybody here like when comics say that to me it just like irks me because I'm just like I didn't come here for an open mic I came here because you booked me on a show so you know he's you know he's worried and all of a sudden people start coming and then he doesn't tell anybody the order, and he does his set, and then he goes, his first comic coming up, he doesn't even know he's coming on stage right now, but he has a nice bandana, a purple bandana. Give it up for Jared Waters. Now, something about me, I like to be prepared. I like to do stuff like that. I don't like winging it. I like giving people, you know, you pay, you know, pay for jokes. I like giving you quality stuff. So I'm kind of like disheveled a little bit, and like it's okay. It's not a good set. It's, it's all right, you know. It's all right, you know. To me, I know what greatness looks like or perfection. That wasn't perfection. And I pull him to the side, and I said, look, man. And this is me just being Jared, who I am. And I was like, look, man, I, uh, you got to start treating me like the other comics that you want on your show. He said, what do you mean? I said, first of all, man, like, there's going to be a point where you don't have my phone number. And it's not a disrespect to you, but meaning that I take comedy seriously. That means you got to take it seriously. And if you don't take it seriously, that's cool. But just don't ever throw me up like I'm nothing. You're throwing me up because we're boys, because we know each other. I said, but treat me with the proper respect as you want some of these bigger comments to go to your show. I need that type of respect. You know, courtesy would be like, 
Jared, you're going first so I can prepare. You know, because after I did that, because I was trying to prepare for this documentary. So I'm trying to do jokes that I wanted to do for the later Tuesday night spot, but I really couldn't because he just threw me up and I had to go home and not go home, but I had to rush over and rework the jokes. So I'm saying that because a lot of these comics now are not aware that there's a glitch in the matrix where you can start proving that you that you're funny now. You know, so I'm on this show that's Tuesday, so then we go to the documentary Wednesday night. We we're talking about the documentary. We meet at Thumbs this I think it's I don't know. We've been shooting for a while. We've been shooting all week. But it's this it's like a bar or something like that. But we go to the attic and there's no air conditioning. I'm hot as I'm hot as F sweating the whole time. So in this documentary you see me sweating the whole time. And they asked me, they go, Jared, do you think, what they say, do you think it's, do you think it's right for the clubs to start going to parks now and doing everything else? I was like, well, you know, everything is fair now, so we all can do it. We all can do that. And I, I can't really talk about most of it because I know it's going to be a part of the documentary. So I did that Wednesday. Then after that, uh, I went down to this show in Brooklyn to see my friend Napoleon. And again, again, it's the f- the fact of New York right now. It's like comics are having to prove themselves. And I guess the reason why I told this story is because now I feel like my class of comedians, or I don't understand the. I don't understand the no urgency right now. Like right now is the perfect time. Like wherever you are comedically to prove who you are like you have a chance to be doing shows to get in front of people that you really want to be in front of to network to do everything else so a lot of comedians have especially comics that I know are hitting me up because they're like Jared I see you're on a lot of shows who books that show who does that who does this like what what show is this what show is that and I had to be like no disrespect but why aren't you you need to be out here like I didn't move to Tampa to take care of you like, you need to be out here. You need to fight for your own. Like, oh, man, I'm trying to do shows like you. Well, get out here and do them. It's simple. I had a friend tell me, she goes, um, what are the shows that are happening Friday? And I was like, freaking Google it. What do you, <laughs> like, what do you mean? Be a part of the scene. Like, like, come on, let's do it. So it's it's this thing that I have where my friend was telling me, uh, her name was Christiana, and my lady was telling me, she's like, I don't really believe in signs, but they're saying because you're a Capricorn, you like to be four steps ahead. You're very goal-driven and stuff like that, so it's hard for people to understand the pace that you're in. You know, I think sometimes they call us daywalkers in comedy. Daywalkers are people who have jobs and do stand-up. And right now the comics who didn't get hit by this pandemic are the daywalkers because we got day jobs and we know how to, you know, how to do both, how to, like, wake up, how to get up how to have something responsible how to do this it's just not stand up all the time it's it's something you're dealing with different people so i was like maybe and then my i'll, I'll go over it later my lady sent me all these lists of like what capricorns do and stuff like that so wednesday night i'm talking to these comics and the booker again he's looking at me and i was like what's up man i'm jared waters he goes okay yeah all right i said let me introduce myself again i said my name is jared waters man i said i'm a stand-up comic all right cool and then as soon as another comic came with a lot of credits and he started talking to me because we've been on each other, been on the road with each other. He goes, Jared, what's up, man? What's going on? He goes, hey, what'd you say your name was? I said, you'll know after my set. So now it's like this thing of just clout chasing where I've been telling a lot of comedians, especially the comedians that I know that are on 
that are in the swamp with me. I'm just like, this comic goes, I started a show. I have a show. It's going to be on the Lower East Side. It has a thing. I have a budget. The budget's over, blah, 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 blah. And I'm going to get all these comics here from this show, from this show, from this show. And I was like, why aren't you not getting the comics that you see right here in the swamp with you? It's like, I want a good show. I was like, do you think these comics are going to treat your show like a show show? Or are they going to wing it? And he looks at me and he goes, yeah, but they perform at this club. And I was like, what does that mean? I said, this is just 40 seats. He goes, yeah, 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 yeah. I was like, yeah, but you see, I said, like, you look, I said, like, you see me here. Why haven't, he goes, I said, like, you should be booking me. And I was, and it's not me just saying, I was like, you should be booking him. You should be booking him. Look at all these comics are in the swamp with you right now. I just seen you laughing. So why are you so worried about the next, trying to get these guys when you can develop right now? This is the perfect time to build yourself up. And he looks at me. He's like, yeah, whatever, Jared. I was like, all right, no problem. It's your show. You can do what you want to do. You know, but he it kind of irked me because he goes, I'm going to do this show to pop it off. And then next week, I'm going to do that. And I was like, so you're going to give these comics the grand the grand opening and the best of the high dollar. And then you're going to lowball these other comedians. And I'm the type of comic where I'm looking out for, like, you know, the comics that I come up with and stuff like that. The comics who are working every night. The comics who might not have this. HBO credit or might not have the CBS credit or anything else, but are working, and when they do get the credit, you know what's going to happen. So we do that Wednesday, and then Thursday, we go. To, I'm at a show at the Bronx Brewery. The Bronx Brewery is my friend Ishmael's and Stefan's show, and uh, you know a lot of the stuff. You know when you're doing a show, some things things happen, things break. I've done pretty shows, so the microphone breaks. But he has a Bluetooth speaker, and the Bluetooth speaker goes out. So I'm telling Stefan, I was like, listen, you got to relax. He's upset. You know, a lot of people are upset. Like, and I tell him, I said, hey, man, you have a weekly show in a pandemic. You're good out here. The next show is going to be better. So imagine the microphone. So we switch the microphones off and it's like a little, it's like a, it's like a, it's, a, it's louder than a muffle. So I know, project your voice, project your voice. But I'm like, kind of like projecting my voice and sweating. So that show goes really well. And then Friday, 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 what show did I do Friday? Friday I did some roof, not some, I did a rooftop show, but it, it was it was okay. And then after that, we all go to PD Diablo's show. That's like the Friday night swing. And then Saturday, I have a show at 7, but something tells me, I'm like, man, I should go, I should go check out this new show that happens at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. So I go there, and it's, all the wolves are there, like, of that next peer, like, all these seller comics. These comics that, you know, that all, they're all from TBS. They got credits and stuff like that. So I go there. I dap everybody up. What's up? Hey, how's it going? Good to see you. Bang, 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 bang. I see a couple comics from my class. What's up, boys? And they're on the show, too. So I'm sitting there, and the booker walks up to me because they see me out. And they say, uh, Jarrett, I was like, hi, how are you? I'm good. Would you like to go on stage? I said, yes, I would like to. Would you like to do five minutes or ten? I said, the latter. You're next. I said, yep, gas it up. Gas it the F up, right? So I'm excited. I'm like, F, this is perfect. And, you know, I get a little jitters because these are comics, you know, that are from a different, they're from that, that next level. But I'm still a comic for the swamp, so I'm like, I never want to just be, go on stage to prove myself. But at the same time, this is the perfect time because all these dudes are from Saturday Night Live. And they're, this is the first time in comedy, not in comedy, but 
this show particular show, every comic's watching each other because it's daylight and you're watching to see what works and everything else because you're capitalized their set. It's like, all right, perfect. So I'm following my dude, Andre Thompson. Andre Thompson, he's a part of my class. He just did uh, Jimmy Fallon's Late Night, and he's he's doing his thing. Next year, you know it, the booker comes back over to me. Sorry, but we really have to, we really have to, like, end the show by 445. So next week, we'll put you on. I was like, sure, no problem. So I pack up my camera. She goes, no, 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 I still want you to do five minutes. Just do five minutes. And I was like, all right, five minutes. Can you do that? I was like, F, yeah, I can do it. And then next, you know it, I put that lighter fool on that thing. And sorry, that's my Dragon Ball Z. And uh, I do really well. I do really well. And it was dope because, you know, I don't do it for people's approval. I do it because I wanted to be a stand-up comic since I was young. But it was good because these comics, I've noticed they've never seen me up. That's crazy. I've been in New York four years. Oh, it's my four-year anniversary. I'll talk about that later. I've been in four years. And the people that know are the people who are in my class. But if you're working a specific type of club, you probably would never see me unless it's an off night where I'm doing it. So this comic I respect, he goes, yo, good S, man. He cursed at me. He goes, dude, you really lit it up. You threw it off the backboard. I dunked it. And the comics from SNL dapping me up. And I was like, yeah, I appreciate it. And I was like, yeah, I do this all the time. <laughs> and then the booker comes up. She's like, so what is this? Is this your first show in a couple of months? I was like, uh, before I responded, she goes, no, of course it's not. I've seen you out all over the city. And I was like, yeah, I am. So it was just that moment where sometimes I'm just like, these moments are starting to pay off. Like, because I'm in these parks, because I'm doing the shows that some comics are just, they're f- afraid to be outside right now. But I'm like, no, I'm going to get my reps in. You can, you learn how to be outside. So now I'm like starting to do more stuff. and I'm in more rooms or in more circles of stuff like that. So that was just dope, man. And it's, it's, you know, it's those moments where you're just like, this is what New York City is about, man. I, I. This is New York City, man, where you could be on a show of anyone, you know. And if you're not an A comic in Ohio right now with Dave Chappelle, you're probably in New York. In L.A., all the comics are shut down. My boy Jonas told me, like, in L.A., they're shutting down everything. You can't do, if you're in a beach and there's more than seven people, they're shutting it down. You can't do anything else. And when I'm sitting there at this show, these comics are like, hey, man, we did it outside. Man, we're making people laugh outside. And I was like, it's so crazy. That what's happening now is something that I did six years ago, six, five years ago, and now it's happening now. So I just shoot it. It's my four-year anniversary. I should, I don't know if I'll make a Facebook post. I think that, you know, you post five years. Five years is like a, a, a five number. Four is just four years, you know. But I remember, I remember packing up my car. I remember I moved from Tampa well, let's go, let's go even back. F it. I guess, sorry to the people who, freak, I'm reading these emails now. I promise this week I'm going to review One Tree Hill and these other emails, I promise. But this is like a, I'm just reflecting on my four years in New York, man. It's probably the toughest thing. The toughest thing could be your ego, right? I think that my life has prepared me to be a stand-up comic because throughout my life I've experienced a lot of letdowns, uh, disappointments, and always proving myself. I think throughout my whole life I had to prove myself. We can go back to the beginning because when I was like four years old, my mother was supposed to put me in preschool. 
was supposed to put me in preschool, but there wasn't enough spots in preschool. So they ended up putting me in kindergarten. And I was really good at school in kindergarten. I learned pretty fast. So they were supposed to hold me back, but they didn't hold me back. So I just went on to first grade at like five. So throughout my life, I've always been a grade ahead, right? A grade ahead, meaning it's cool to skip a grade, but socially or physically, you develop a whole lot slower. So when I started getting certain things, other people had it already, right? I noticed it when I was like in fifth grade. So long story short, let's get to it now. So I started stand-up in college, but when I was in high school, I always wrote jokes down. I had a joke pad, and I would write what's funny, and I was always trying to make people laugh. When I was like 11, I remember watching, I downloaded all these Red Fox, I downloaded all these comedy albums, and I would just quote comedy albums all the time. I just wrote down jokes that I heard that were funny, and when people said it, I would just tell jokes. I would tell jokes to my grandfather. He would bust out laughing. I'd tell jokes to my dad. I would do impressions and everything else. Like, I always knew that I would be doing stand-up. I freaking always knew. So I'm like 16, and I freak. Uh, you know what? Uh, hold on. I'm about to play a clip. This is me at seven. This is me at 17 as I'm leaving, and I said, me and my boy Sasha, we, we used to be rappers, and we talked about what do we want to be five years from now. I'm going to play this clip. Here we go. And mind you, this is a, a rap. This is what we made a, a rap mixtape. I was going through some old stuff, and I was like, yeah, and this is what we just, we used to take these rap CDs, and we would rap over beats, but we would take the introduction and talk about the future and see what will we become in the future. All right, here we go. That was that was my voice altered. That was my voice altered. Me and uh, that kid Sasha Miller, and uh, this is the fifth mixtape, and uh, we're just gonna give you an overview of what we're trying to do here. We're trying to make a good, nice six, seven songs, eight songs, ten, maybe a classic, you know. But uh, over the years, our lyrical piff has risen to a level that we can't even contain anymore. Sometimes we get in the booth and we can't even make one song because the piff is on a different level. So really, what we really want to talk about is five years from now. Sasha, can you come here, please? I just want to ask you a question like, what are you going to do five years from now? Where do you see yourself five years from now? Can you answer that question, sir? Yeah, no problem. Five years from now? Yeah, I'll probably be signing my contract with the NFL. You know? Yeah, five years from now. You know, five years from now, you know, if I'm not in California, you know what I mean? What are you going to be doing five years from now? Uh, I'm going to have a contract to private Paramount Pictures, you know what I mean? That's what I go to college for. You know, do my little acting thing, and, you know, I'll be the greatest comedian ever. That was, uh, was when I was 17 years old, and I said, I'll be the greatest comedian ever. Like, I've always wanted to be a stand-up comic, right? Always. So when I meet people who are... I would say part, part-timers, right? Part-timers, meaning that you just do it because it's, you really do it because you want friends, right? And it breaks my heart when people just get on stage and just don't care. 
Right, when they get on stage, like, I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm like, oh, my God, freak, man. What I would do to get on stage right now and destroy this room and try, right? So I start. So in the Netherlands, you know what I mean? Uh, in the Netherlands, there's a stand-up comedy scene, but they don't like people who are from the Netherlands. Like, I've asked these comics, can I have stage time? They're like, you're freaking, you're, uh, you're, the, you're black, but you grew up here, so you don't, it's not funny, black. And I'm like, what? But they're like, pretty much, who are you? You know, I just want to do stand-up. So what I would do is, uh, I would apply for all these scholarships, and after I got these scholarships, you had to give a speech, and I would just write stand-up jokes inside there. And at the end, I would do it motivational, but I would just try to tell jokes. And I would make people laugh like that. And if it didn't work, I would just go back to the script. But that's what I did. I won the scholarship, the Lakeisha Bankhead Scholarship. I think it's $5,000. And I did a whole stand-up routine and freaking crushed it. And then they're all everybody like, you should be a stand-up comic. Why are you going to college for that? I was like, that's the goal, baby. But my mother tells me, because I was like, I, sh I wanted to move to New York at 18. And sometimes I'm always in my head asking myself, if I would have moved to New York, man, maybe I would have. You know, what type of comic would I be if I moved to New York faster, like at 18? And I'm glad I didn't move to New York at 18 because I probably would have been, you know, 18 I was... I was a player, I was, you know, and stuff like that. So imagine how I probably would be a completely different comedian. You know, I probably wouldn't have met my lady at the time. Uh, I probably wouldn't have came to New York as a man. Because when I came to New York, I was a man already. So the little things that other comics get distracted by, I don't get distracted by. At a man job, at everything else. So at 18 or 17, I leave the college. Like I said, I was a year earlier. I leave the college. And I'm looking for stand-up comedy. Nowhere around in Greenville, North Carolina. Right? But campus is, campus is big, but Greenville's really small. East Carolina swallows the city of Greenville, North Carolina. So I was like, well, let me just find something. So I started hosting step shows. Like every time I knew if I hosted a step show, I got seven minutes to try to make people laugh. I'd do impressions and stuff like that and just do whatever I could. And then eventually I found this. I, I started taking class at the theater department because I was like, well, if I can't do stand-up, I'll just go to theater because it seems like most stand-up comedians are actors anyways. So I'll just go to the theater department. I'm still taking regular courses. And then I meet this guy who tells me about this comedy group on campus called Seriously Clown It. My friend, at the, my friend Whitey's running that. And I was like, okay, I go to their event. And, you know, some of their, you know, as a stand-up comic, like, I understand comedy. So the jokes that they're telling, I wasn't laughing. You know, I was more like analyzing stuff. And he was trying to break me. Like That's what Matt said when he met me. He was trying to break me as a person. I was like, I just don't. I'm analyzing comedy. You know, I can laugh when I hear other stuff. So then I was like, okay, maybe I want to do with these guys because they seem like they're kind of rookies. So I was like, I'm going to just keep hosting step shows and keep doing stuff like that until I realized I want consistent stage time. And there was a sketch group on campus, and there was, like, improvers. So I just joined. So I, And then they told me, like, this sketch group is really a stand-up group. So I was doing stand-up in college, and I'm so glad, freaking so glad that none of those jokes have came out because I was completely, I can't believe the vulgar stuff I was saying. I wasn't cursing, but it was like vulgar. It was like roast, mean roast stuff. Or it was like, it was funny, but at the same time, I was like saying people look like Waka Flocka. You know, it was like roasting. I was like very quick to, to roast, but all those years on in college, it was college humor. College humor is really, you know, what kids like. Kids like music. Kids like what's trending, and kids like current events. So I just watched the old tape today of me doing stand-up at like 19 or 21, 19 or 20, and I'm just like saying just wild, wild stuff. But what happens is 
my friend at the time, his name is Stephen Hennison. My friend at the time, this is, this is my dog, Steve. We're still friends now. We met in college. He's from Brooklyn. And he goes, why don't you come back with me for Thanksgiving? You can get up in New York. And I was like, oh, freak, that's a good idea. So I tell my family, I'm not coming this Thanksgiving. I'm going to go to Brooklyn with Steve. So we drive up from North Carolina to Brooklyn, excuse me, and uh, we're hanging out. And at the time, Steve's sister knows uh, this guy named John Lasser. John Lasser is a stand-up comedian now, and I, he doesn't remember, but I tell him this, but he doesn't remember. I was like, you're the first person ever threw me on stage. I was 17 years old. I was 18 or 19 years old. You threw me on stage in New York. He goes, I don't remember that far. <laughs> and uh, I was nervous. I was nervous. I was scared because I thought, like, New York City. I was like, man, this is – I was thinking I was going to, like, the Apollo, but I'm going to some rinky-dink, ran-down, <laughs> ran-down gutter place in Brooklyn. There's tables and stuff. And he goes, you're going to go first, kid. I was like, all right, no problem. So he introduces me. And I don't know who he's introducing because he's saying stuff I've never heard before. This next comedian, he kills all over North Carolina. He's done college tours. I was like, college tours? Who's they bringing up? Man, he's opened up for, I was like, what? I haven't done that. And next you know, I get a big applause. I go. I'm like kind of nervous on stage, but it helped me develop my character in the beginning of my comedy career because I would just talk super slow. As I talk super slow, it's like I use my voice to throw it. So people were laughing at the stuff that I was saying, and I got laughs. So at the end, you know, it was, it was now looking back on the set was okay. You know, was, you know I've, I've seen plenty of 19-year-olds are funnier than what I was at 19. But they, they, all these older comedians come, and they talk to me. They're like, dude, you got to keep getting up. I know you're young right now, but trust me, in 10 years, you're going to be a different type of person. Stick at it, man. Whatever you do, stay at it. Stay at it, man. I was like, all right, so I get back to North Carolina, and I just got a, I just got a fire because I'm like, man, I freaking did a show of all these real New New York comics, and then when I got to back to North Carolina, I realized that we didn't know what we were doing. Like it wasn't real, like real humor. I noticed that when adults would come to the show, they wouldn't laugh because I'm talking about hooking up with girls. I'm talking about dorm rooms, and it's like they don't understand. They're like, they haven't been in college in seven years. What do they know about going to a girl's dorm room at four o'clock in the morning, sneaking in? It's funny to a college kid. It's not funny to adults. So I'm sitting there in college. I'm about to graduate. And I was like, F, I got to go to a stand-up city. Like Green North, this part of North Carolina is not a stand-up city. And I don't want to stay in North Carolina. I'm going back to Florida. I go to Florida. I was like, I'm going to go to Orlando because I met this comic at the time named Dean Napolitano. And he did an hour and a half on my family and crushed. And I was like, I got to go. Some of these stories I've told before, but this is me getting there. So boom that. So pretty much long story short let me wrap it up so 2016 in March I told myself I'm only gonna stay in Tampa for three years so when I got to Tampa this guy named BT who was a general manager but now he's a manager at the club he goes I do the open mic and he goes I see you have some some experience and that's experience that I had in college with the stage presence and everything else but when I was in Orlando I was getting up more, and I started to understand comedy because I was downloading all these Chris Rock tapes and listening to Chris Rock, listening to, like, Patrice O'Neill and Mr. P and realizing, like, this is what I'm going through as a person. Like, why am I not writing about this on stage? And I was like, oh, I need to start writing more about my own life experiences. And then I started developing, and I started learning another gear of comedy. And I took that year in Orlando. I started learning. I started trying out jokes, and they started getting better. I started doing competitions. And then when I moved to Tampa... I was like in between Tampa and Orlando, but when I fully got to Tampa, I started doing, hitting the mics. We're going outside. I go to side splitters. 
the general manager goes, hey, I want you to host the open mic for me. And I know, just always accept, because he's trying to see, like, will you host the open mic? And my goal is, like, I don't want to host the open mic forever. I was like, sure, I'll do it. So I host the open mic. And what he was doing was he was testing to see if I could host a show. So he was telling me at the open mic, hey, just bring the comics up. Do your time at the top. Read the announcements. I was like, all right, good. Then he goes, hey, do you want to do a guest spot on this show? I said, yes, I would like to. I do a guest spot. It goes well. And then he goes, hey, I want you to start hosting this show. So as I'm hosting, I meet a comic named Steve Miller. Steve Miller is one of my guys in Tampa. And he goes, uh, as a host, you should do this. I was like, all right, do you have any other advice? And he goes, yeah, try not to make them clap so many times or make them do goofy stuff because your, your goal is to make it feel like a comedy show. So after that, a year, year or two, you know, hosting, doing spots, and my crew that I came up with was me, Cameron, Jonas and Mario, right? So we all would it be us four and this guy named Rajel. Rajel dies out. Then there's Amanda. Amanda kind of dies out. And the guys in another class is JB. It's Matt Fernandez, everything else. But what I noticed about that class, excluding JB and Matt Fernandez, a lot of these comics have turned into like half-steppers, right? They weren't at the open mics. They're not getting up consistently. And I was like, you guys are taking all these spots, but you're not doing anything to keep these spots. Like I get what y'all did, but what have you done for me lately? Like, how are y'all evolving and doing more sets and everything else? So I would question that. So what I would do with my class is, like, we got to make sure that we're tough and we're solid. We got to make sure. So every set, me, Cam, and Mario, Jonas, we're tagging up each other. We're like, hey, don't work on that joke. We're just a unit, so we're flowing. And next thing you know, I start featuring. I start. We start headlining. We start booking shows all over Florida. And then I... I was like, well, I said in three years is done. My three years come to an end. And then I've been in Tampa longer than that. But I said in August, I'm leaving. I'm going to New York. So I say in March, Cam, let's go to New York. And Cam goes, all right, let's do it. And I was like, at the time, we had to have, have a discussion. I said, look, I need to know if you have my back. And I was like, and Cam is, Cam is not a pushover. He'll fight anybody. So, you know, we were just roasting each other. kind of went too far. We apologized. And then um, we let each other know, like, look, we love each other. I just know in New York we got to have each other's backs, man. We're the only comics we got, so we got to have each other's back. We go to New York, and I ask him, I was like, hey, do you got a place to stay? He goes, no. I was like, hold on. So I call up our friend Andy. Andy used to date this comedian named Amanda. I said, hey, that's Amanda's ex-girlfriend. I said, well, I'm going to slide in her DMs and ask her what's up. So I said, I was like, hey, how are you, Andy? She said, I'm doing well. I said, what's New York like? She goes, oh, it's amazing. I said, we, me and Cam really want to check it out. She goes, oh, my God, you should come. I said, we want to come in the spring. Will you be there? She goes, yeah, stay at my house. I said, what? Stay at your house? What? You want us to stay there? I was like, hey, Cam, we got a spot. So Cam goes, what? I appreciate you. So we go. And it was glad that Cam went with me because Cam showed me how to use Google Maps because I don't, I only use like a GPS, so how to figure out the trains and stuff like that. So we would hit open mics. We'd hit open mics, and then we would meet comics that we met on the road in Tampa. And New York was such a good experience. I was like, all right, this is it. I got to go. So I called my brother, and I told him, I was like, yeah, I'm moving in August. And my brother goes, all right, do you have a roommate yet? I said, no. You found a place? He goes, hold on. I'm going to find you a place. My brother calls me back. He goes, my girl, it's his wife now. Is like, my girlfriend, he has her best friend, Tammy, is moving to New York. You're going to room with her. I'm going to put you in contact with her right now. So she's in New York doing the groundwork. She's trying to find a place. And it's good because 
She goes, we just have to split the brokerage fee. And that's when I knew. I was like, all right, New York is serious. She goes, you got to send me $1,600. Boom. I was like, here's sixteen. I had, I had tons of money saved up because in Florida, I was living kind of comfortably. You know, I'm doing stand-up, but at the same time, I, I live nice. And it was like I noticed in stand-up that I hit a ceiling where I'm just like I'm just lifting weights, comedy, boom, I was in a routine, and I was just established. So I said, when I go to New York, I'm going to, I understand I have to do things that go back to the bottom again. And when I say that, because when you move around a lot as a, as a, as a child or a teenager, I moved around every three years. So every three years, I had to go back to the bottom, how to, how to, how to negotiate, not be, you gotta, you know, you had to go back, you gotta make friends again, you gotta do that, you gotta network, you gotta know how to talk to people. So I get to New York, I pack up my car, she already has a spot, and boom, I drive up, I go to Atlanta, do shows in Atlanta, go to North Carolina, I talk to my aunt, me and my aunt, she says this prayer, I recorded it, here, let me pull it up, I recorded this prayer. She just recently passed away in uh, 2019. But I remember I'm a very spiritual person, right? And this is what I say, like, when I, I pray a lot. And sometimes I'm very religious. Not religious, I'm very spiritual. I'm in tune with God. I'm a Christian man. But I say that it was nothing but God that kept me here in New York. Like, when I left my job in Florida, you know, a lot of people like, you know, that, that the, the boss talked to me like, Jerry, why are you leaving? Everyone loves you here. This is going to be a great year. We, They gave me a salary increase. And I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. And my dad goes, do you have a job set up in New York? I was like, nope. And he goes, I said, I said God will provide. And he goes, he will. My mom goes, yeah, don't worry. He says, the, the righteous will prevail. And I get to New York, and within two weeks, I get a job, right? And I've been at that job since I got here. That jobs, and this is how crazy it is. That job provided me an opportunity to go to the Middle East, and I did stand up in the Middle East. So what I learned in New York when I got here was to change my pace. I have a slow, I have a very slow voice, but I can speed it up when I want to. But I have to realize in New York, Tampa, you got 15 minutes to work stuff out. In New York, it's three minutes when you're first coming here. When you're hitting these open mics, you got two and a half minutes to make somebody laugh. So I had to, when I first got here, I kind of was like, man, I, I only have one bit to get out, so I would start chopping the fat off my bits, chopping it off, chopping it off. I was like, all right. So now I developed a, a jab now. Now I got a jab with it. So I'm in New York, and sometimes I guess I get frustrated, you know, because sometimes I feel like I should have certain things. I remember in New York, 
that the the I learned I was like I was I was peaceful. But I remember this comedian that I knew. I met him in Tampa, and I when I got to New York, was the only person I knew in New York that wasn't a fifty year old comic because they can't help you. And I go to his show, and I was like, "Hey, man, we met in Tampa." He goes, "Dude, come to my show. We come to the show. We're having a good time." He gets drunk, and then he's just saying the most foul stuff out of his mouth about everybody that I know back home. He goes, "F Tampa, F the owner, F JB," and I'm like, "I was like, whoa, dude. I was like, whoa, what the freak?" And he goes, "Yeah, and freaking you too, man. Like making fun of me in Tampa." I was like, "Dude, what are you talking about? We had a great time. I freaking downloaded." I gave you Kanye West's CD and Rihanna. I went to go download this. I drove you around to get cigars. Like, how was that a bad time? And he's like, the owner at the time was making fun of him, and I didn't know. And I was telling him, I was like, I'm just telling the owner to be quiet. That's how you get him to be quiet, by just agreeing with him. And then next you know, he, like, made it hard for me in New York because at the time, he, when he got here, he developed respect. And, like, everyone where he, for his comedic town, were, like, the guys who had all the shows. And he made it hard for me because every time I met a comic, they were like, Jerry, you're really nice. And I was like, oh, I know. He said I wasn't nice, right? And they're like, yeah. So it took me a while, and I felt like he was effing with me. And it's just like, you know when you feel somebody who's who doesn't like like you and has that thing, and I'm a peaceful person, but at the same time, I, I used to be a goon. I used to be one of those guys that would just try to, you know, I fought a lot growing up. When you're a military kid and you move around, you got to fight people. It's what it is. So that bullying stuff, I was, I'm was i not a fan of it. No one's ever going to bully me. If not, you're getting maced, and I'm taking these kneecaps out, right? So we're at, like I noticed there's like a lot of microaggressions towards me. And I remember I got off stage one time, and he goes, give it up for the only Christian comic in New York City. He's going to sell you to Christ. And I was like, dude, are you trying to disrespect me? So next thing you know, in comedy, we have all these wiffle ball games, right? And it's where you, you have to bond as a comedian. You have to give in to the scene. So I was like, oh, but you do basketball tournaments for comedians to bond. And that's where I got a lot of my shows by just networking. So I played wiffle ball, but a lot of people don't know. Freaking, I I was no joking T-ball. I was no joking Jackie Robinson. So I'm hitting the piss out of these wiffle balls. Next, you know what? The guy who's been bothering me, he goes, yo, Jared, great job. He moves his hand out the way to high five me and calls and says something. He goes, ah. And I was like, maybe he's being funny, but he does it again. And I was like, all right, the next the next time you're going to die. Like, he didn't know that, like, like my scene in Tampa, we're all fighters. Like, that's the one thing about the Tampa comics. They, we've, they've, all, we've all come to blows. I've seen one time, I remember one time I had to take, I was, I was like, JB, what's wrong? He goes, oh, like, I'm about to fight this audience member. I was like, what? Relax. Cam, ready to throw hands. Rio, Jonas, er, for everybody in Tampa. So we're all, we're... <laughs> We're just, we're just, we're not angry, but everyone's ready. You know, it's a wild city. So next, you know, it, I told him, I was like, man, you could die right now. He thought I was joking. So next, you know, it, that's my opportunity because he kept, you know, being disrespectful. So I need him in front of everybody, in front of the whole comedy scene. And then his, his buddy walks up on me. I was like, you can die as well. And looking at me, I was like, I just want you guys to be prepared for what you do because there's no, there's, and after that moment, it was cool. After that moment, they realized, like, oh, Jared, to F you up. I was like, you got to know that. You got to know all these these little mind games you're trying to do with me and trying to, like, block certain things. Even you don't think you're doing it, but you thinking that just lets you know I can make it hard for you, too. I can make it really hard for you to breathe if we want to go like that. So I know. Sorry. Sorry to get like that, but that's how I felt. That was my first year in New York. I was, frust- I was frustrated, man. I was, fr- I was like, I'm not getting spots like that. And then... um. 
I, I said, uh, I noticed that this comic was going to Tampa, so I asked Jonas. I said, yo, pull up on him in the green room. I said, all the boys, I want y'all to run up on him in the green room. Don't hurt him, but just ask him what, what the pressure is. And then next you know, I was like, no, I love Jared. He's great. Oh, my God, Jared's great, great. I was like, oh, yeah, good. I can, I can make it hard for you as well, man. And then I, I was talking to my friend, and my aunt said, you shouldn't be like that, Jared. You should be showing the love of God. I said, like, you're right. So I walked over to him, and I apologized. I said, I apologize for tripping you. Uh, I let my emotions get to it, and I, asked, I said, can you forgive me? He goes, yeah, I forgive you. But at the time, I think I needed to do that. So at the time, I'm still doing open mics. I'm trying to get into the, the shows and stuff like that. And this comedian from Tampa goes, hey, I'll be in New Jersey. I'm opening up for Dom Herrera. You can come to the show. So I go to the show, and he says, look, I'm going to get you a guest spot. I was like, how? He goes, don't worry. I'm going to sacrifice seven minutes of my set to give you seven minutes. So he does it, and at the time, this is how God works. This guy that I met, his name is Brian McKenna. Brian McKenna goes, hey, man, you're, like, kind of clean, and we don't have any black, excuse me, we don't have any urban comics <laughs> at the club that I work with. It's on Long Island. Would you ever go to Long Island? I said, I don't know where it is, but sure, I'll go. It's in New York, right? He goes, yeah. I said, F it, I'll go. I'll do anything. I just want stage time. So next you know it, he, I write him, and he writes me back and goes, hey, I just talked to the booker. Email him this. I email him. He goes, come and audition. And this is the, the experience in Tampa that I had. And he goes, uh, he goes the, I'll go to the, I go to the club. It's called Governors. And, he's, uh, and he goes, uh, how much time can you do? I said, uh, how much time do you need? And everybody's like, ooh, okay. He goes, don't do any local jokes and don't do crowd work. I said, that's perfect with me. He goes, do 15. I was like, all right. So I do 15. Solid 15, I see Brian, he's sweating because he's making sure that his reference is good. And boom, I'm past there. Boom, I start getting spots. And the reason why I love going to Long Island because they had good food. I would go good food, and they had 200 people in the crowd. And I was like, oh, man, I feel like a comic again. So I'm doing that. But I noticed I was in Long Island a lot, right? So I was like, I, and this comic named Jason Salmon, he walks up and goes, uh, did you move to New York or did you move to Long Island? I said, "What?" He goes, "Yeah, you, yeah. What you get? You, it's good to be out here, man. But you now you got to be in the city, man." I was like, "You're right." So I was like, "All right, I'm gonna make sure my business to get in New York City." But as this is how it works, as I was in Long Island, I started making connections with comics in the city. So I met these two comedians, DC Benny and Jamie Roberts. I just made a post about Jamie Roberts. Jamie Roberts was the first like comic to pull me to the side and goes, "Where are you getting up at?" I said, "You know, hostels. I get up at hostel shows and everything else." He goes, "You doing a club yet?" I said, you know, off nights, he goes, all right, come with me, come Sunday. I go to Sunday night live show, and all of a sudden, he throws me up, I do well, and he goes, F with me. And I was like, I will. So Jamie was the first comic that, like, introduced me to bigger comics. I was like, Khalees Hawkins is the first comic I ever wrote in my life. I was watching Comedy Central in the Netherlands, and I was like, I just found her on Facebook, and I was like, hey, great set. And she wrote back, thank you so much. I was like, what the freak, this is amazing. Then I noticed, I was like, man, Chris Rock is writing on their page. I should just slide in Chris Rock's DMs. And I do. And he writes back. I was like, freak, Chris Rock is wrote back. Then I made the idiot mistake of just sending Chris Rock my stand-up when I was young. I was like, freak, I never should have did that. <laughs> but he wrote back again. I wrote him something. And he wrote back. I'll keep that private. So so now, uh, so Jamie Roberts is starting to give me shows at Broadway Comedy Club. And the club at the time they didn't really pass me, but they started using me because Jamie was using me. So he started introducing me to comics. I started working, so I was like, perfect. Then DC Benny, we started talking because in the green room, I'm telling them all these wild stories about growing up in the Netherlands and growing up in Japan and all the crazy stuff we used to do and the stuff I did in college. And he goes, hey, 
have a show at the Comedy Cellar. Would you like to do it? And I was like, yeah, that'd be nice. But at the same time, I was kind of like burned because all the older comments I met in Tampa, when I got here, nobody answered the phone. Nobody could help me. They didn't have no connections. And DC goes, I got a show there. Let's do it. And within the first year, I freaking did the Comedy Cellar. I'm like, freak, the biggest, hardest club in the world. I just freaking did. And I just, I, he's like, if you want, I was like, I'm not doing no new material. I did all the stuff that works. It goes well. All these people are doing it. I was like, wow. But at the same time, I'm sitting at the table and realize, because it's a comedy, t- it's a, there's a comedy table where only the seller comics sit. You can sit there, but it's just like it's made for like seller. It's like it's known in comedy. That's the table of the comics who are past there. So he goes, here, sit at the table, man. I was like, no, I'm not going to sit here. I'm going to wait till I get past here. But uh, it was good. Thank you so much for this opportunity. And then year two starts. Year two, I start getting up more. I start knowing how to finesse more. I start realizing that it's about hanging out and meeting people and being nice. So I start doing that. And then I meet this guy named Paul Schisler. Paul Schisler goes, I'm from Titusville, Florida. I said, what? Oh, I'm from Tampa, Florida. He goes, I have a show every Sunday night at at, and it's in Harlem. I was like, oh, wow, what's it called? It says, it's called the H. It's in a hostel. And I start doing the hostel. And the reason why the hostel was so good, because it got me prepared to do international crowds. So I would ask people where they're from, everything else, and find out what international people are from. So start doing that. And then year, well, I think it's me and my lady go to Cuba. And then we have the situation where, like 2017, where I had to decide. I was like, man, I got I got to freaking, I got to, not I got to, it's like, yo, I, she's been holding me down this whole time, like, I got to move her in, you know what I mean, we got to get married, we got to do things, you know, so I start saving up and start building the engagement ring and stuff like that and building it, then she freaking loses her iPhone, so I, we got to get another iPhone, and then to the day, year four, like before the pandemic, I've had, I did over 170 shows. And it wasn't even March yet, 170. And New York is, they say this, they say you go to L.A. to be famous, you go to New York to be great. I think there's great comics in L.A. because my friends are in L.A. But uh, this was the best decision I ever made in my life, was to move here. The living arrangement, my living arrangement is good, but still, like I, I love having a backyard. I don't like going to a park to be outside. But I'm glad I'm here. I thank God that I'm here. I thank God that it took me here to value my relationship more. It took me being here to understand that it's okay to unlearn what you've learned. Whatever you're doing in life, whatever you're doing, you know what I mean? When I was working at Disney World, I was working at Disney World, and I had a job doing this, an easy job, right? But when they kind of like repositioned me, I was sitting in the back at a kitchen, right? figuring out what I want to do after college. I'm going to kiss all these Haitians and these Dominicans. And, you know, we're laughing and making jokes. And this Haitian dude pulls me to the side and goes, you don't want to be here, right? No, you feel like this is beneath you? Just be good at it and you'll have fun. Be good at the fries. Master the fries. Right? And I'm just like, what? And I'm sitting there like doing the fries. And actually, you know what? When rush hour came, they would move me off the fries, put me back to the dishes, but it goes, master the fries. This guy's the best fry dropper I met in my life. The be- he could drop the piss out of fries. As soon as that people come, whoosh, 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 fries, 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 fries. And he sat me there and he goes, look, stay here, learn. 
this is you could he goes you're the best stalker look at you how you could stalk the shelves i will stalk i will stalk the piss out of them shelves because i love being in the freezer but he's all like learn the fries learn the fries it's hard but learn it you sweat and he taught me how to steal food he taught me how to steal chicken nuggets i taught this i taught this girl from china how to steal chicken nuggets and she goes one nugget i said yeah take it i don't care then I, she took a she took a, a tuna sandwich. I didn't tell you how to steal that. I said, yeah, you did that on your own. But all these scenarios happened in life where I had to learn to adjust and learn, like, it's not worse than dropping fries. It's not worse than over 2,000 people wanting a burger and there's no burgers there, you know? I remember dealing with disappointment. I remember uh, playing football, and I remember being cut off varsity and sent down to JV, which is the most embarrassing thing. I, I have a thing about public embarrassment I don't like. But I remember telling my friend at the time, who was on JV, when I was on varsity, and I was telling him, I was like, hey, man, don't even worry about it, dog. Don't even worry about it, man. You got this, man. Don't worry about JV. It's just JV, man. Kill on JV. That's the swamp. You need to kill at that swamp. Let be the biggest gator on JV. Let them know that you show them that you belong on varsity. I would say that. I was kind of effing with him a little bit. But I meant it. Right, I meant it, but at the same time, I was just happy I wasn't on JV because what we used to say, JV, pick up the water bottles, JV, get the dummies, JV, do this, and it was a pecking order, right? A pecking order of how it went down, and I hate, I, I love being on JV when I was a freshman because all of my friends were on JV, but to watch my friends elevate and for me to be downgraded, it hurt me. I'm like, freak, all look at all these people just freaking. <sighs> Look at these jersey they're wearing. I'm wearing the crappy jersey and stuff like that. And then my boy goes, hey, man, you're on JV, man. Show them that you belong on varsity. Work hard. I'm like, freak, I got to eat my words. So now as I get to New York, right, now as I leave that status in Tampa, now I'm in New York, now I'm four years in. Now I'm starting to do shows with co comedians that are freaking on. They got specials and everything else. I'm like, you know, I want to make the most out of the swamp that I'm in. I'm going to make sure that I'm the best version of myself. So now I'm in New York. I'm four years in. Got my own place. My own place by myself. It's not, well, now it's my, my lady's place. It's nice. And I'm here. I'm here in a pandemic. I'm here adjusting to the new normal. When the opportunity comes. When the time is right. When my number's called, I'll be ready. I'll be freaking ready. Hey, you're live on the podcast, One Man, One Tree in the Hill. Say what up to the people. Now, this is when I see black excellence. It's Kenan Thompson. And I see this giant butt. I'm like, oh, who is that? Turns out it's Quest Love. So Dave Chappelle, Chris Rock, Eddie Murphy. And they're all sitting at the table. And I walk up to Eddie Murphy and I was like, hey, Mr. Murphy, I just want to say you're the GOAT, man. And you're the coldest that ever walked the face of the earth. You got to break that thing over she wants it private but y'all not even together right now so we haven't spoken about anything but the cat for at two least months. two months and then i said and i said uh uh and i'll be the next jamar neighbors and she was up like i know that's right <laughs> uh ladies and gentlemen thank you for listening to the podcast my name is jerry waters Catch you next time. Like, subscribe, rate the podcast. Have a wonderful night, wonderful day, whatever you're listening to. I'll see you soon.